Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Now look, I'm not here to tell you I told you so. Nobody likes that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. So no, I am not here to say that I told you so. But I told you so on October 1st. And then the following Sunday, I went on national television and I said it again. And I took heat for it at that time. But I stood my ground. I leaned into it. I was not backing down. And while I repeat, and I cannot stress this enough, I am not here to say that I told you so, but I did tell you that the Cleveland Browns are America's team. And I was the first one to say it. And that was last October. And now look at them. Look at the last 24 hours. And if you want to get on that bandwagon, there is still some room. But you better move quickly. And you better show respect to those of us who have been on it for a while now. You see, I'm not just on that bandwagon. I'm not just driving that bandwagon. I built that freaking bandwagon. I gathered the spare parts, a fender here, a tire there. I put on my welding mask, and I welded this thing together. I even bolted some I-beams to the floorboards so there would be extra support for when I knew you people would all want to get on. And if you want to be among that number, you better get on right now. I've been telling you, I've been telling you for months, and finally, maybe now you will listen to me. Maybe you checked Twitter last night around 5.15 p.m. Pacific, and you saw the trending topics. If not, let me run them down right now. Browns, Odell, Giants, Baker, Jarvis, Ronaldo, Landry, AFC North, John Dorsey, Cleveland. Like that was a where were you when moment. To quote that legendary Browns fan, oh my God, this is not happening. Oh my God, this is not happening. Except it is. And it's awesome. It's amazing. Ten topics, nine about the Cleveland Browns. And a bunch of them were just single names. This is how iconic America's team has become. Iconic. Single names. Household names. Odell. Baker. Jarvis. And right now, you better put Dorsey on that list. Because when people are talking about Dorsey these days, they're not talking about Glenn Dorsey or Ken Dorsey or even Jack Dorsey, the guy from Twitter. They're talking about John Michael Dorsey, the man who just worked the Giants for Odell Beckham Jr. That's how earth-shattering that deal is. I've waited this long to mention who they acquired because you already knew. And if you didn't hear the details, Odell Beckham Jr. for the 17th pick, the 95th pick, and Jabril Peppers. And really, they're combining this with their earlier trade to make it Odell Beckham Jr., Olivier Vernon for Kevin Zeitler, Jabril Peppers, the 17th pick, and the 95th pick. So, if you're a little confused, it's understandable, but I'll make it easy for you. You ready? Here it is. Let me make this very easy. The Cleveland Browns are going to the Super Bowl. That's it. That's the plan. They're not looking to make the playoffs. They're not looking only to win their division. They're looking to win the whole damn thing. They aren't looking at last season saying, that's a step. Let's take another step. They're not taking baby steps. They're taking giant steps. And they're stomping on fools. 
They aren't just looking to take part. They are looking to take over. And before you say pump the brakes, I say take a look at the roster. Look at what they have. Hell, just take a look at that offense. Baker Mayfield dropping back to pass. Nick Chubb eating up yards. Odell and Jarvis running routes. David Njoku causing havoc. Freddie Kitchens dialing it all up. I mean, do you remember the Browns offense in the second half of last season? That was when Kitchens jumped into the fire in the middle of the season with all that chaos all around him. And he worked with a rookie quarterback and they killed it together. So you give Fred and Baker a full offseason and this array of weapons and then look the hell out. They have an electric young QB. They have the best receiving tandem in football. Yes, I said it. They're so good, you don't need me to run down their stats to prove it. You already know. Odell and Jarvis on the same roster isn't even real football. That's fantasy football. But now it's real. The future of the league is brown and orange. Then go to the other side. Look at the defense. You have Miles Garrett. You have Denzel Ward. You have Demarius Randall. And then you add Olivier Vernon and Sheldon Richardson. That's right. Because in the last few days, the Cleveland Browns have added Beckham, Vernon, Richardson. Is that any good? And on top of that, while the Browns are getting better, much better, the Steelers have lost two elite offensive weapons. And speaking of that for a moment, remember when people actually cared where Le'Veon Bell was going to end up or where Antonio Brown went? Yeah, that all got erased the moment that trade went down yesterday. So the Steelers are not the same team they've been in the past. The Ravens are hemorrhaging talent defensively, and the Bengals are breaking in a new coach. So the AFC North is not just there for the taking because they're saying that's not enough. And I'm saying, hell yes. That's why they're America's team. Because of what they've done and because of how they've done it. And I said it back in October. And what they've done is go from 0-16 to a team that literally could win it all. And they did it in just over a year. And yes, I understand this. You can't really predict or guarantee anything. This isn't some crazy win-now mentality, though. That's the key. This is not a crazy win-now mentality. They've got a core that is all between the age of 21 and 27. We're talking about Baker, Odell, Jarvis, Chubb, Garrett, Denzel Ward, Randall. The list goes on. And according to Jason Lockenfora, they may not be done. There might be more where that came from. They might try to add Earl Thomas. Of course. Why the hell not? If I'm Earl Thomas, I'm going to give up money and I'm going to sign with the Browns. Because all of a sudden now, Cleveland is a destination. It's a place to chase rings and it's awesome. And it could not happen to a better city. Because Browns fans have suffered through a hell of a lot. I'm not even going to get into all the losses because that is now ancient history. The past is prologue. I'm just going to say, it was not that long ago that the biggest highlight at a Browns game was some fan trapping a possum in the stadium. It was not that long ago that Brad Paisley was giving horrible speeches to that team or that somebody was suggesting that the next head coach would be the former Secretary of State. And now, only a few months later, we're talking about a possible Super Bowl run. That's how fast that turned. And no, Cleveland, it's not a dream. You're not sleeping. It is real. It's happening, and it's awesome. And while I was the only one saying it back in October, now you can all say it with me. 
the Cleveland Browns or America's team? Cleveland! This is for you! Man, hell yes it is. C-Town, where are you? Oh, it's happening. We're going to start in Cleveland. Mike, great to have you on the show, Mike. How are you? Hey, good afternoon, Jim. I'm good afternoon. Good. Uh, we're stoked here, man. I, I woke up this morning seeing the news. I was like, whoa, Browns aren't playing anymore, Jim. Doesn't seem like that long ago when I talked to you. And you asked me what I would do to fix this. And I said, I'm done with this garbage. <laughs> and I said, let's get a GM in here that knows what he's doing. Blow that thing up. And that's exactly what they did. And they drafted wisely, and now they're spending money. And they're going to be dangerous, man. I mean, they should win that division. I'm trying to pump the brakes a little bit on the Super Bowl talk. But uh, Pittsburgh, yeah, come on, we, we, they're done. Uh, Baltimore, what was it, Lamar Jackson, please. And Cincinnati, God, Jim, those people put Elpo on ramen noodles, and they call it a gourmet dish. Really? And that guy from Ottawa is going to talk about Cleveland dining. <laughs> anyway, um, that's awesome. And I, I really think uh, Antonio Brown did the Browns a favor because they didn't get they didn't uh, get that much for him. And I think maybe the Giants got worried that down the road that they wouldn't get as much for Odell. And man, that's that was like a steal. So thanks again, Antonio Brown. And man, this time it. It's it's funny how quick things can turn. Yeah, right, Mike, like a little bit over in a year. Hey, Mike, I appreciate you. Thank you. That's the guy who called up and talked about Pat Catans back in the day. I think he just said that somebody took a run at Cleveland for cuisine when in Cincinnati they put Alpo on noodles and they call that cuisine. Don't take a chance of being stranded. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and get your battery tested. It's free of charge and one of the many services available. If your battery needs to be replaced, the professional parts people will help you find the exact battery for your car or your truck. Bob Melvin is my guest. Bob, it's so good to have you back. How are you? I'm good, Jim, and yourself? Good, good. Bob, God, the season is right around the corner. You're only a week off, and you open up against Seattle and Tokyo. So first things first, how has camp gone for you and the team so far? Well, you know what? I tried to to not feel like we were rushed, but I think from the day we got here, it's felt like that. I mean, we you always go into spring training thinking it's two weeks too long, and then when you get cut two weeks short, you feel like it's two weeks short. So. Uh, we're in a little bit of a rush to get some at-bats. We've had some inclement weather on top of that. got rained out again last night. So, you know, we, we, we want to feel comfortable going in there. The good thing is that we do have uh, two exhibition games before we play the Mariners. Bob Melvin joining us. Fact is, that's not just a team-building trip. You're playing meaningful games in Tokyo. So you talked about the impact that has on camp. What about your process? What do you do, do between now and then? And what do you know now about your team going into that and that challenge you have in front of you? Yeah, it's just, you know, right now, it's this is our last game here, and then we take off tomorrow. So, you know, we just get through this game healthy today. Uh, we'll have a workout, two exhibition games against Japanese teams, and then two regular season games. So, you know, and then we come back and get back into spring training mode again. We'll have a couple days off and then play the Giants uh, in the Bay Bridge Series before the season opens up again. So, logistically, it's not ideal 
yet I know it's a lot of fun for the guys to go over there and play. And, you know, we did it in 2012, and, and being a little bit superstitious, we had a good year in 2012 as well. A's manager Bob Melvin joining us. So when you and I talked at this time last year, I got the sense that you knew you might have something special in that group, and then sure enough, you went from a 75-win team, Bob, in 2017 to a 97-win team in 2018. What have you seen from the camp or from the team so far in camp? Do you feel like you might have something special once again this year? We do. I mean, you know, it's, it's, we have a terrific position player group, you know, and some of them are, are young core guys that are going to be around for a while. Uh, you know, Chris Davis and Stephen Piscotti is kind of the veterans uh, as, as far as the position player group goes. But, man, we, you know, we're really talented on the corners. Uh, we feel like, you know, offensively we can be every bit as good as we did last year, which is really good. You know, with the rotation, we had a lot of injuries last year. We're going to have to piece together a little bit of the rotation this year. Uh, we did sign Mike Fires back to lead the way, and Marco Estrada behind him, and then Brett Anderson, and then we're still making the decisions. Uh, bullpen last year obviously was a strength for us, as it will be again uh, this year. So, you know, it, it'd probably be a little bit similar in how we, we try to do the pitching staff. We were talking to Bob Melvin and the start of the season right around the corner for them. Bob, one of the things that keeps coming up either from guys who join you or guys you play against is the fact that your teams just play the game the right way. What's it mean to you to hear that? And then how would you define playing baseball the right way? Yeah, boy, I mean, I, I, every time we recruit somebody here and bring them in, they, they tell me exactly that. And I think it just means that we play the, the game 27 hard. I know it's, it's you know, a bit of a cliche, but we really do. You know, last year, you know, we, we had a propensity to come back late in games, and, and we were really good about the seventh inning on holding teams down. So, you know, when, when you're uh, looked at that way, it means that you, you're, the later innings you're having a lot of success, and that was, that was our strength last year and a key for us. And then when you have a bunch of young, hungry guys that run every ball out and play hard and, and, you know, never feel like they're out of a game, I think that's what's probably they're alluding to. And it makes you feel good, at least myself and the coaching staff, that you hear that because, um, you know, that's music to our ears. You know, it seems to me, Bob, playing 27 hard is key, but you want guys who are going to play together as well. You mentioned Mike Fires. He joined the team during last season. He said the first thing he felt when he came to your team was the family atmosphere. He said, quote, everyone was doing whatever they could to win a ball game and doing everything together. There wasn't one person that was trying to do their own thing, end quote. I mean, it seems like a pretty obvious thing. It seems like a given, but that's not the way it is in every clubhouse. How valuable is it to have that atmosphere in your clubhouse? No, it is important. I left that out. And, you know, the, the, some of what we talk about here is play for the guy next to you, and, and that's exactly what they do. It's one thing to play for yourself. It's another thing to play for the guy next to you. And, you know, it's, it's, that's kind of the way we are. We also have some younger guys that are leaders in our clubhouse, and we're not afraid to – you know, let guys be themselves and be leaders. And if that, you know, in the past, it's been more veteran guys that are expected to lead. But if you have that quality as a younger player, uh, you know, we, we give you the ability to do that and the freedom to do it here. And I think it works very well for us because uh, the guys respect each other from the younger guys all the way to the veterans. And, um, you know, it worked very well for us last year. A's manager, Bob Melvin. One more thought about last year. I know you're not going to rest on your laurels, but man, when you look back on that, that run you went on from mid-June on, we were 63 and 29. What kind of thoughts do you have as you look back on that run? Boy, it just, we, we, we created a lot of momentum. And, and once we kind of figured out who we were and, and what the roster was going to look like for a while, we really took off. You know, Billy and David made some, some key moves. Jiris Familia was huge for us last year and bringing in Rodney, too. And, you know, we probably don't have the, the resources to, to build 
in the rotation, but we did in the bullpen. Therefore, we had to shorten some games. But, you know, once we got on that roll, we felt like we were going to win every single game we went out there. So uh, that's a pretty powerful feeling when you get like that. And had to let our guys know this year, you know, if you thought you worked hard last year, you know, and we're not going to sneak up on anybody. So we have to even work harder this year. And, you know, these guys are, are doing it in camp so far. So hopefully it, uh, you know, it, it filters over into the regular season. We're talking to Bob Melvin. We do every time of this year. You know, Bob, I talked to Tori Lovello on the show yesterday, and we talked about how managing was never, ever an easy gig. But back in the day, the managers would come in and kind of fill out the lineup card. And the job just was different. I mean, you don't have the success, for instance, that you've had for as long as you've had without constantly growing and adapting. As an example, how different are you as a manager now than when you first arrived in Oakland? Well, way different, and especially my first years in Seattle. I mean, you know, Pat Gillick was my GM there, and, and you know, we, we put put the team together, and that was mostly his job. And once the game started, it was my job. And now, you know, you're getting a lot of information, a lot of analytics from above you, and, you know, expected to implement it. So, you know, it's the communication with the players uh, that they have to know this is the way we're going to do do things and, and get the buy-in from them or before as a manager, you just told somebody what to do, and, and you know, they did it. So it's completely different now. It's, it's really top-heavy within, uh, you know, the, the, the front office above you. And, and if you haven't have longevity and you're going to have to stick around, uh, you have to understand that. Bob Melvin joining us. You know, Bob, Bruce Bochy announced last month that this was going to be his final season with the Giants. I know you have gone up against him for years, both with Arizona and now in Oakland. From one manager looking at another, what do you see when you watch him manage? I, you know what? I, I see a guy that just has so much respect from, from everybody in the game and, and seems just to make all the right moves. We've had a lot of battles before. And, and, he, and you know, he's a guy that understands his roster, too. It's, he's not one of these guys that – you know, this is the way we're going to play, and, you know, we're going to sit around and either, you know, play for the long ball or we're going to hit and run. He really, you know, based on the roster that he has, he understands how to manage that team and has success all the time. On top of that, he's just such a great guy. You know, we have a little bit of a rivalry with those guys, but it's tough to hate the Giants because of Bruce Bochy. And, you know, going out this year, it's it's a little bittersweet. Um He's a good friend of mine, but, man, I, there's nobody in the game that I have more respect for than Bruce Bochy. And finally, any doubt, Bochy, he's a Hall of Famer, isn't he? Oh, my God. With first ballot right away, no question about it. Let me tell you about my favorite new app, Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. Other brokerages charge you up to 10 bucks for every single trade, but Robinhood does not charge any commission fees. That way, you can trade stocks and keep all the profits. And there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level at all. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in only four taps on your smartphone. And with Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moments to invest. And Robinhood is giving you listeners of the Jim Rohn Podcast a free stock like Apple. Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. You want to sign up right now at jimrome.robinhood.com, jimrome.robinhood.com. Let's go back to the Giants side of things. Like if the Browns woke up feeling dangerous, New York Giants must have woke up feeling, hell, I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. 
How did the Giants wake up feeling? I have no idea because I've got no idea what the hell they're doing right now. The Cleveland Browns, for example, were terrible for a long time, but they've changed that. The Cleveland Browns have a plan. The New York Giants' plan is to not have a plan. Like Giants fans, I wish I could tell you this was about one bad trade, one bad deal. You know, things are darkest before the dawn. But this is so much worse than the Odell Beckham trade. And that's saying something because the Odell Beckham trade is awful. Now, I'm not going to turn this into a full-blown recap of everything that Dave Gettleman's done since he arrived as the main guy in charge. Like, I'm not going to mention the idea of taking a running back instead of a quarterback last year. I mean, that's been beaten into the ground, covered extensively. We all know that he passed on the chance to take a quarterback in what was generally regarded as a great quarterback class. We all know that he passed on the chance to bring in a young quarterback and give him a target like Odell Beckham Jr. If you're Dave Gettleman and you've got a great young receiver in Beckham, it would be ideal to match him with a great young quarterback. And Gettleman just did match a great young receiver with a great young quarterback in Cleveland. Hell! (laughs) Anyway, instead of taking a quarterback last year, they instead took Saquon Barkley. And that debate's already tired and has been beaten into the ground. Kind of like how Saquon might be next year when there's absolutely no passing game. But instead of finding Eli's replacement last year when the class was that strong, they kicked it to this year when the class was weak or even further down the road to next year. The bigger problem is the Giants treated last year's draft like they were actually a good team, right? That's the problem. The most dangerous thing in life is not dumb people. It's dumb people who think they're smart. And the most dangerous thing in football is not bad teams. It's bad teams who think they're good. And that's what the Giants were last year. They were a tanking franchise, and they didn't even know it. They acted like they were running back away from being great. And then they promptly roll out one and seven. And then they look in the mirror, and then they realize how ugly they are and how bad they were, and they start to tear that whole thing down. And even that didn't go well. One bad move after another. But again, I don't need to recap that. We don't have time to recap that. But I will say this. Gettleman said in Indianapolis at the scouting combine less than two weeks ago, quote, we didn't sign Odell to trade him. That's all I need to say about that. Actually, that's not all you need to say about that. Because less than two weeks later, you did exactly that. You traded this guy. So if you want to make the argument that the Giants are better off without Beckham, that Beckham is like a bad guy or a bad influence, okay, fine, sure, whatever. I mean, he's not the easiest guy ever, I understand that. But he's making out with field goal nets. He's not skipping practice, he's not skipping games, and his teammates liked him. Hell, they had a party in the locker room when he signed his new deal. So either there's something we don't know or something really weird going on. And if there's something we don't know, and he's really an awful guy, then why did you sign him to a five-year deal back in August? If this guy really is a horrible guy, if this guy really is that destructive, if this guy really can't handle to New York, 
or however you want to spin this thing, then why did you sign this guy to a five-year, $90 million deal a year ago? Or, yeah, or you could sign him to a huge deal in August and then trade him in March, two weeks after saying you were not going to trade him. I'm not saying that the Giants don't have a plan, but if that was the plan, it's the worst plan ever. Pay him more than 21 mil for 12 games and then deal him. Sign him to a big contract, pay him for a year, and then trade him to the Browns. So the Browns get a great receiver on a great deal in his prime, and you're left munching on a cap hit. So how are you better off? How are you better off? Sure, you get the 17th pick in the draft, but the Browns would argue that after the first dozen picks, the draft really levels off and the value is not there. Even worse, on that third-round pick that you get, it's not even Cleveland's best third-round pick. And then on top of that, you still have all the same problems that you had before the trade, such as a quarterback who has aged out such as an offensive line who could not protect him, such as a defense that is falling apart. It's gotten so bad in New York, Giants fans have got to be wishing for the return of Ben McAdoo and his clown-sized suits. Man, those were simpler times, weren't they? When the only thing to laugh at was the head coach's horrible look and all the 10W40 that he dumped into his lettuce every single morning. Since then, they have committed one blunder after another, Benching Eli without a plan. Bringing Eli back without a plan. Making lousy moves in free agency. Drafting a running back. Signing a wide receiver. Trading the wide receiver. Still having no answer a quarterback or on defense. Never mind why would they want Eli back. Why would Eli want to come back? So that he can get brutalized every single time he drops back to pass? Or so he could pass to legends like Corey Coleman and Alonzo Russell. Everything that has happened, I mean, this is not what the Giants do. This is what horrible teams do. The Giants were supposed to be one of the Tiffany franchises of the NFL. One of the elite organizations. They have a plan, and they work that plan. Or they used to. Because these Giants have no plan. And they're not even working it that well. They're just getting worked by the Browns, and not just in that trade, but in everything. You ever think you would say this, especially in recent years, but if you had to pick one organization to emulate right now, it would be the Browns and not the Giants. Think about that. The Browns are killing it, and the Giants are killing themselves. They're just bouncing around from one catastrophe to another, chasing one bad decision with an even worse one. That's not what great organizations do. That's what bad teams do. And that's what the Giants are right now, a bad team. And that does not appear that's going to change anytime soon. He is Dan Wetzel. Dan, good to have you back. How are you? I'm good, Rome. How are you? Good, man. Good. Listen, you have covered some of the biggest stories in all of sports, some of the weirdest stories in all of sports. Did you ever think that you would be covering a story which included Yale women's soccer, USC water polo, and Aunt Becky from Full House? <laughs> Maybe Kimmy Gibbler, but not Aunt <laughs> Becky. All right. One of the all-time great sports scandals, Rome. One of the all-time great. Rich people sneaking their kids into college by pretending they're athletes when they aren't even athletes. I mean, you, I, I, the scam is so brilliant. 
granted, they're all going to prison. But until then, it was so brilliant that when I read this indictment, you just sat there and like, why didn't I think of this? This, <laughs> this is genius. It, it, it's insane. Until it, until it wasn't. <laughs> it's insane. Dan Wessel's joining us. You know, when you get into it, we can get into the details in a minute, but there are so many different angles, as you point out, on so many different levels. But if you had to pick one angle or one detail that sticks out to you the most, what would it be? I, you know, I think it's just the the, the absolute, uh, I don't know, the stones it would have taken to pull this off. Like, they were basically going to these teams, these coaches, and saying, all right, you you have a slot academically if you say this kid is a walk-on on our team, whether it's football or women's soccer or water polo or sailing or whatever. And I kind of got the idea of, like, this would probably occur if your kid is pretty close, you know, it could be a walk-on, and say, look, just take him as a walk-on and let's get into Yale. He'll give it a shot. If he's not good enough, whatever. But these, what they did was say, look, take him as a walk-on. Uh, you know, we had a pole vaulter who never pole vaulted, uh, a, a crew, crew team that never, never rode. Uh, you know, an artist became a Yale women's soccer player. And so the just sheer just guts it would take to just say, not only is my kid not good enough to play college athletics, he or she doesn't play at all. It doesn't know anything about this sport. Make him a USC water. You know how good you have to be at water polo to make the USC water polo team? You have to be unbelievable. 14 national championships. Just put, put Susie down as that. And so, and then we'll give you, I mean, one, the, the, girl, the girl who got a women's soccer uh, preference at Yale, her dad paid $1.2 million for this. The coach got four hundred grand. The middleman got eight hundred. Like, the sheer numbers are so big, and the, the con is so huge. The girl never played soccer. <laughs> And she got her way into Yale. It's just mesmerizing how big the scandal was and how big the figures were. I guess I could have seen it on a small scale, but never just someone saying, I'll drop $1.2 million on my artist daughter to become a Yale soccer player. It's incredible. Dan Wessel joining us. And on top of that, they didn't get scholarship money. They were paying all that money. It was worth all of that money just to get their kids into those schools. And yep. then right in the middle of this whole thing, of course, is William Rick Singer. For those who do not know, who is Singer? What was his company? He had, I forget the name of the company, but he was the guy who, who operated this. He had two, two prongs here. One, he controlled... Uh, he controlled two SAT testing centers where he bribed the administrators who oversaw the SAT testing center, one in L.A., one in Houston. And then he had a guy in Florida who was capable of coming in. He was a grown-up, grown and he would serve as a, as a fake proctor to the exam. And he was so good at the SAT that when someone would hand in their test, he would just change the answers, and he could deliver any score you needed. Because if you take the SAT the first time, let's say, you know, you get, you get 1,000, and you can't just all of a sudden jump up too high because it'll, it'll get a red flag. So if you needed a 1,300, he could get you a 13. 1,480, 50. I, I got to see the documentary on this guy. Like, what, what a skill, right? So he, had, he could do that and fix your SAT to whatever score you needed to get into whatever school. And then he had somehow gotten in with these various coaches 
and was bribing them. So he was the middleman. So you paid him and his charity huge money. Uh, again, one guy paid $6.5 million to him for one kid. But a lot of them were fifteen to seventy-five grand for an SAT. Uh, you know, four or five hundred million dollars for the college scholar, for the college uh, athletic slot, and then he would he would broker the whole thing. Uh, just an absolutely bizarre business. Hundreds of kids uh, utilize this thing at least. Dan Wessel joining us. You know, obviously these kids, if they didn't play the sport, then they would know that it's a big scam and a big lie. But in terms of the testing, Dan, is it true that some of these kids would sit down for the test and not even know that their parents had set it up and that they had paid this guy out and they'd get the score back and be like, hey, wow, I did pretty well this time. Like, they didn't even know? Yeah, one kid actually said, I want to take it again because I think I can do even better. And he's gotten like a 1500 and they're like, don't take it again. You'll get the 1000 again, right? Right. Um, you'll blow it. Yeah, that part's kind of depressing because here are these kids who think, well, I studied hard and I, I got a 1500 Anybody can do it, you know? And they're, like, entitled. And it's like, you didn't do anything. You, got, you cheated. Your parents cheated. So that part's kind of depressing because I don't think every, everyone who benefits from this quite understands exactly how the wheels are just – everything's just greased for you when you're, when you're rich and famous like this. So – but, uh, yeah, the, the kids often didn't know. Uh, sometimes they didn't even know about the athletic thing. One kid actually was at a guidance counselor at his college, and he said, oh, so you're on the track team. And he's like, no, I'm not on the track team. Wow. And the, and the counselor's like, I don't get it. Another one, so some of the high school counselors said that. There's like a water polo one, and they're like, we don't have a water polo team. So questions would arise, and the kids would so- sometimes figure it out. We're talking to Dan Wetzel. All right, so what about the case? Uh, we've got some pretty big-time actresses involved in the middle of this. Felicity Huffman, what was the case with her? What did Singer allegedly do to help her child? Uh, he got her uh, the SAT score. The four, he got her 14. She'd gotten 1,000 on the pre-SAT, uh, and they were worried that wasn't going to get her into a very good school, so they wanted her in a better school. So uh, she took the test, and he got her 1420, I think it was. On the uh, he's either fourteen twenty or thirteen forty something good on the uh, on the SAT to get into her school. Now she's still in high school, so we, I don't we don't know what school she was going to, but she paid fifteen grand for that. Desperate housewife. <laughs> Let me ask you this: How in the world could the women's soccer coach, for instance, at Yale, be getting six figure bribes? The women's soccer coach at Yale, and nobody notices. How is that possible? There was a, a senior administrator at, UC, at USC who got $1.3 million in various payouts. Um, I don't know. Uh, nobody clearly was watching. There was great deference easily given to these coaches who said, yeah, put, you know, put this name down as, as one of my academic slots. Uh, and I think there's less scrutiny because these kids weren't ever going to be on scholarship. So it's sort of like, hey, if it's a walk-on, it's a walk-on. As a college, you're sitting there saying, hey, we're getting a paying customer. Um, I, just, I, I think at some of these schools, it just, it just wasn't – it, it, was, it was so rare. I don't believe it was a lot of Yale soccer players. It was really maybe just uh, – I think that was a one-off. USC had repeat business, uh, and that, that was the one they probably should have caught. So how does the USC athletic department look to you right about now? <laughs> I mean, they should be humiliated – you know, look, you know the USC and their compliance department and the NCAA, they will chase down any lead if one football player is getting a free can of Coke somewhere. And 
and it's a scandal, and you got to fill out forms. And, and here are fake water polo crew team. I mean, you got Lori Laughlin's daughter is on the crew team. Like, really? You wouldn't think that might make the newspaper or something? Like, you know, they Lori Laughlin's daughter, in effort to in effort to trick the, the 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 thing, they created a profile of her in action on the crew team. They just had her on a rowing machine at a gym. Right. That was it. Like, you know, they had people with fake photos. Uh, you know, some of these things. There was a there was a kid they were trying to get on the USC football team who weighed 145 pounds. They were going to make him a a kicker or a long snapper or something. Uh, you know, just absurd stuff. That if anyone did even just limited Google search, I mean, every one of these kids now have these huge online footprints. You can go on their Instagram page. You don't see any pictures of them playing soccer. They're probably not a soccer player. Just a just a red flag. So. Uh, they would make up regattas that the kids are in. They made up teams. They they claim they're on national teams, like in Italy or China or something. I mean, it was totally absurd stuff. They claim like one kid was a basketball player, like it won like the Hong Kong Cup. Like there is no Hong Kong Cup. Just but nobody was checking, and they just got away with it. And there was a you know a ton of money getting getting thrown around. These, I mean, Lori Loughlin spent a half a million dollars to get her two kids into USC, half a million. You know, like I said, someone paid 6.5, 1.2 to go to Yale. These are incredible amounts of money getting thrown around. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I shouldn't be laughing, but it's hilarious. It's so funny. It's that hilarious. You can just, yeah, literally, you can say whatever you want. Like, oh, yeah, my kid was ranked number one in the nation in tennis when the kids never picked up a tennis racket, and apparently they're not looking. And I want to make this clear, Dan, to your point. You've got these schools, and they've got compliance departments, and all these departments are there to make sure that even the smallest NCAA rule is not violated. I mean, if a bagel ends up with any cream cheese or whatever the rule is, there's a problem, yet these coaches are flat out getting crazy bribes and nobody says anything. So let me ask you this. If you bottom line it, nobody looks good in this, but if you had to pick, who looks the worst? Is it the school? Is it the coaches? Is it the parents? Or is it Singer? <laughs> wow. Um, the parents look terrible because, you know, you got to just let your kid fail and find their find, – most of these kids are not – it wasn't like it's either I get into Yale or I go to jail, right? Like, okay, they don't get into Yale. They go to somewhere else. There's a lot of schools out there. Um, so the parents are terrible. I think this is more about where the parents wanted to tell their friends their kids got in than what was best for their kids. Uh, in terms of sports, I think the USC compliance department and USC as a whole looks absolutely horrible. I mean, look, USC – and, and I know a lot of great alums from USC, and they hate the term University of Spoiled Children, right? Like, they hate, you live in L.A., they hate that. Yes. Well, man, it's a tough one, tough one to overcome today. You just got to wear that one today. Uh, the idea that this, this athletic department is just so loosely run, nobody's, nobody's paying attention. The, the senior women's administrator is the number two person in the entire athletic department, and she's selling out walk-on spots for $1.3 million. That's the definition of lack of institutional control. That's a lot worse than some basketball player getting something or some football player getting a free rent-a-car somewhere. Like This is literally year-by-year year institutional cheating and bribery uh, with, your, with your boss. And so I, I just got to thank USC. I get why, like, nobody's checking the Stanford sailing team. 
roster. I kind of get that. It was one guy. Like I didn't. Even, why? Is, why do these schools even have sailing teams? I don't even know. But uh, USC to me is so is, they can charge rich folks money. lots of money to yeah, hide kids on so. them. That's why. Yeah. I mean, if somebody who's followed so many scandals, one NCAA scandal after another, I guess what you're saying is you look at football players who get paid, basketball players who allegedly get paid. It's got to be some kind of poetic justice, right? That parents are paying for their kids to be water polo players or rowers or sailors. It's hilarious. There's a kid who, who is supposedly a pole vaulter. Like, <laughs> go make them pole. You know how hard it is to pole vault? I want to see him try that. They should have, every kid who got in. <laughs> totally. Every kid who got in should have to play the sport. That's that's what I think. Like, put the little shrimpy kid that was the water polo, put him in the pool, and let the UCLA water polo team practically drown him. Like, if you got in from the sport, all right, you're playing now. Let's see what you got, pole vaulter. You can fake it in soccer. Like, you can't really. Like, they're going to know immediately. But, you know, you can run around, maybe try to kick a ball. You can't pole vault. <laughs> Unless you know what you're doing. I'm with so you. I, That's the I'd one. Put them in the field. Make them play. Hey, listen, before somebody says it too, we're not laughing at those people who did all the work, who earned the opportunity, and were doing things the right way. I mean, we're overlooking that at this point. I'm just not making fun of the whole thing. Listen, before it's you go. Terrible I pre- for those guys. Yeah, it's the worst, Absolutely right? terrible. Yeah, listen. this is how America works, unfortunately, because this kid, some kid somewhere got perfect scores, perfect scores, and couldn't get into Yale and played years of women's soccer is a good player, and no, we don't have a spot for you, but this rich guy does. And that, that's the worst part. That's, this is the one crime. I'll say this yesterday. In today's environment, it's hard to get all of the country to agree on anything. Like, this was about it. 99% of America is like, yeah, Friday's got <laughs> So at least we got that. We do have that. Listen, if that story were not big enough, before you go, last night came word that the Browns had acquired Odell Beckham Jr. What did you make of that trade before you go? You know, I just think it's great for Cleveland. I mean, I think we're talking 15 months ago, they had a parade to, to quote-unquote celebrate their 0-16 season where they marched around in a giant circle, a giant zero, in downtown Cleveland. And 15 months later, Super Bowl contenders. What an awesome thing for the city of Cleveland, which too often has had nothing going on in sport. I know they had LeBron, but they, go on, they, go, they lose every game, and then LeBron leaves. And now Cleveland's back. I'm just really happy for Cleveland. It's great, great deal for them. I don't know what the Giants are doing. Giants don't know what they're doing. Whatever. Cleveland's a fun team to watch this year. I love it. I agree with you. Yahoo Sports columnist, New York Times bestselling author, host of Yahoo Sports College Podcast, and as I mentioned, a Bush Light enthusiast and expert. And whenever we have him on, it's something horrific, something incredible, but it's always big. Dan, great to have you back, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ron. Take care. Hey, no matter how big or small your team is, Ferguson has a winning game plan for pro contractors with thousands of plumbing repair parts, knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the game. When the pressure is on, count on Ferguson. Knicks owner and noted vape pen guy, James Dolan. Boy, this guy's something else. I mean, this guy is so far detached from reality. So far detached from reality. Yet, it's even worse than I thought. Because that most recent episode of Mystifying Behavior, which took place at MSG last Saturday, remember that? A fan yelled at him to sell the team. And he not only stopped to engage that fan, he stopped to tell that fan, you're not allowed to come here anymore. Sell the team! Anything I should sell, sell the team? It. 
You want to not come to any more games? Why? Yeah, that's rude. It's an opinion. Yeah, no, it's not an opinion. And you know what? Enjoy watching them on TV. Him. Him. Why? Bring him. Yeah, him. Hold him for Kevin. Hold him for Kevin. Hold him for Kevin. I gotta tell you something, the more I hear that clip, the more I hear that clip, the more I watch that clip, the better it gets. It gets better every single time. Hey, do you want to not ever come to these games anymore? Yes, I would like to never come to these games anymore. I mean, that, that clip is incredible. And then there is banning a paying customer from your building because he told you to sell the team. And that's not just all he did. It's not just that he did that. He did it like in five seconds flat. Boy, that escalated quickly. 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 And really, it's not even that. It's that the guy actually stopped to engage the fan instead of walking right through. But since it's Jimmy D we're talking about, of course he did. Of course he stopped to talk to that fan. Of course he stopped to engage that fan only to ban him from his house. And of course, he found the nearest media outlet that he has not blackballed yet. And he went and he doubled down, which is exactly what happened on 97, 98.7 ESPN, New York. Just when you thought that this guy hit rock bottom, this guy found even new ground that he could break. Quote, it appears that this gentleman and his friends planned to do this just before the game. They cleared their profiles out. We have video which shows them moving from one side of the arena to the other and pointing at me where I was walking to set this ambush up. And they did. And as soon as they were done with it, it was immediately sold to TMZ. Not for nothing. I shouldn't have taken the bait. End quote. Hey, Jimmy, not for nothing. (laughs) Not for nothing, but here's the definition of the word ambush. Quote, a surprise attack by people lying in wait in a concealed position. End quote. What exactly is concealed about that position right above the tunnel in MSG? What exactly is concealed about waiting in plain sight, in broad daylight? The fact that this guy is complaining that he got ambushed in his own house in front of 18,000 people is amazing. It's hilarious. I mean, sure, the fan might have set the whole thing up. He may have moved from one end of the arena to the other so he could yell, sell the team at the owner. But let's not confuse setting you up because you're a chump with being an ambush. I mean, how the hell is it any different from a fan moving from one end of the arena to the other to get a picture or an autograph or a better seat? Are fans not allowed to move around MSG? You see, there is a difference between a setup and an ambush. In an ambush... You don't really have a choice. You have to engage in an attack. In this setup, you can do whatever the hell you want. You can do what you should have done, and that is just keep moving. But you didn't. You stopped, and you approached the fan, and you sentenced him to a life of watching the Knicks on TV, which is not a punishment. It's actually like a reward. My man, fish are not ambushed by a hook and a reel. They're baited. And you've got no one to blame but yourself for having yet another gigantic metal hook in your face right now, Jimmy. You know what video doesn't sell to TMZ, Jim? Do you know what video does not sell to TMZ? Do you know what video Harvey Levin will not buy? 
a video of an owner continuing to walk right through a tunnel after a fan yells, sell the team. That same video does not even get posted on the setup man's personal Instagram because that video sucks, it's boring, and it's not interesting to anybody at all. But go ahead and keep blaming the fan for getting the best of you. Like, yo, man, that's not my fault. That's not my fault. That was the fan's fault. It's not my fault as the owner. It's the fan's fault. Hey, what's next, Jim? Is it not your fault that you make the worst music ever? Is that the guitar's fault? Is it strumming itself? Is that axe playing itself? Dolan also said in the same interview, quote, the ban is only coming from the fact that we have now learned that the fan planned it. So in other words, if you just spontaneously yell at the owner, it's all good, but it was premeditated, so that's why he's gone, and the guy just wouldn't stop. Once he started, he would not stop. Dolan continued, quote, they were stalking me. You can't do that in Madison Square Garden. You're not allowed to stalk to the owner and then confront him like that. <laughs> this guy, they stalked him and confronted him. Like they got this in the bowels of the arena and cold cocked him or something. Dude, I mean, do you know what Andy's words even mean? It's not stalking to move from one end of the arena to the other. It's not confronting to scream from high above the tunnel, sell the team. Stalking and confronting would be casing out where you live and waiting in your garage for when you get home and something horrific happened. That's stalking and confronting. But I digress. Because I would hate to get served with a restraining order for stalking and ambushing Dolan with this take. Because it's not his fault that I'm talking about how delusional he is. It's mine for thinking about talking about it and then going ahead and talking about it. For planning to talk about it and then doing so. Yo, Jim, it's your world. We're all just living in it. Now, please ban me from ever having to talk about you again on this or any other show I do. For life. Subject of this is, I got set up too. Hey, Jim, those punks ambushed the lead singer of the JD and the Straight Shot. That Coke and those hookers set me up in that hotel room too. Signed, Mayor Marion Perry. Bro, how long have you been listening to this show? Because y'all stopped doing that like 15 years ago. Marion Barry. And the hookers and the blow have not been a thing on this show in a very long time. And no need for anybody to come in here and say, quote, bitch set me up. It's just going to get me in trouble. I'm just going to have to answer to the suits. Hey, let me ask you this. Would you rather sit there at your office desk or call in sick and binge on NCAA tournament games and some junk food? No brainer. Because sometimes it feels good to be bad, especially when it's with somebody you trust. And if you're looking for a place to get in on the action, you can trust my bookie. They've been in business for years and they are growing like wildfire. And the best part is they pay out fast. So when you do call that 12 over 5 upset this year, make sure to celebrate. You'll be pocketing cold, hard cash. March Madness is the most exciting action-packed sporting event of the year. You know that. 
even grandmothers fill out a bracket. Place your bets with my bookie now before you miss out. Bet with the best. Only at MyBookie. Try for yourself. Go to MyBookie.ag today. If you deposit right now, MyBookie will give you a 50% sign-up bonus, up to $1,000 bonus, just for entering the promo code ROME. That's promo code ROME. You play, you win, you get paid only at MyBookie.ag. Brandon Tierney is my guest. Brandon, what's going on? How are you? What's up, Romy? How you doing today, pal? Good, bud. How about you? How are things? Doing awesome. Busy day in New York. A lot's happening. Obviously, uh, the uh, the carousel keeps going around. My man keeps going around. It's the best. Now, you and I had originally planned on talking about Big East basketball, but then everything changed. I'll double back to that in a minute. But sure. take me back. You had been advocating for Odell Beckham to be traded for a while. So what was your reaction to the news that he was being dealt to the Cleveland Browns? Well, first of all, you know, they're from the Browns' point of view. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Uh, from the Giants' point of view, I, I think it's really consistent, Jim, with, with how they've handled business for the last year or so, really, since Gettleman came back to the organization. Their timing is horrendous. They, they seem to want to do the right thing, but whether it's Landon Collins and, and knowing you're not going to give him the big money and then not make it a trade when you have the opportunity, uh, you don't cash in on possible draft equity. That's a big strike. Horrendous job on that part. Uh, you give Odell all this money, you know, $20 million guaranteed the first year to sign, and, you know, he's your star. He's the guy who's going to lead you into the future. Bang, you make the quick impulse decision. He's got to go, and you really don't get a lot back. I mean, so it, 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 it's pretty confounding that the Giants, in a lot of ways, Jim, have taken on the role of the Jets. It seems like the Jets are the franchise now uh, that is steering into clearer waters, and the, and the Giants are kind of bouncing around like uh, – like a ship in the uh, the dark of the night, just just aimlessly bouncing off waves and kind of drifting toward the dock. It's it's pretty messy for the Giants. I got to be honest, following them as long as I have, uh, because you know in the seventies I was you know late seventies I was six seven years old. So when they were bad in the seventies, I don't really remember that. Although I know what historically what they did, of course. But seeing things in real time, this is about as bad as the Giants have been run from top to bottom, probably in about three decades. It's it's a mess. Brandon Tierney joining us. You know, it's so true. This is one of the truly elite franchises. And I made the point before you came on that if you had to emulate one franchise right now, you would want to be the Browns and not the Giants. And nobody would have ever said that. Mm-hmm. So what, what, if the argument is the Giants needed to hit the reset button and move on from Beckham, then why do you think they signed him to a new contract and then traded him less than a year later? Because they don't, they don't have a plan, Jim. Right. That, you know, that's, that's basically waking up and – trying to rebuild and trying to avoid bottoming out and trying to theoretically chase a championship while navigating the slow and sad erosion of a franchise quarterback that has won you two championships and you don't want to you know, do wrong by him, so to speak. So I think, well, I think the Giants' biggest mistake, Jim, here, here's what it is. They, and this is a cardinal sin in sports. They've allowed sentimentality to get in the way of what's right for the franchise. Forget about Odell. Eli should have been, and I say this with all due respect, but there's no other way to say it. Eli should have been gone a year ago. You know, and you could probably make the case Eli should have been gone two years ago. So th- this is a domino effect of, of several mismanagement moves that, that wind up with, okay, where are we? Well, we probably have to get rid of the most talented player outside of Lawrence Taylor in franchise history because we're desperate and we've had a horrendous plan for the past couple of years. And when you're desperate and you're in New York, you usually do impulse things and they rarely work out. Brandon Tierney joining us. All right, so could you see a scenario now where they do actually cut Eli Manning? 
Oh, boy. You know, I, I, it, first of all, if they do, then, again, the timing. They're tripping over the timing aspect again. I think it would be a, an incredible miscalculation of, of reading the room. Because think about this. If you were going to move on from Eli, you know, if, 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 obviously you have to read the draft scenario. And if you think that Haskins will be there at six where the Giants are drafting, or if you think that you could get Josh Rosen for a two or a three and you strike a deal with the Cardinals because they're definitely going to take Kyler Murray, there's other plans that, that needed to be in place before you attack free agency. So if they cut Eli today, there's no free agents left. So, so would somebody tell me, like, what's the intelligence behind that move? The reasoning behind cutting Eli before this year would have been to set yourself up to maximize Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, Ingram, of course, Barkley, who's incredible. You know, and, and you would have had some real equity in terms of free agent money and some, 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 some wiggle room to build out the roster and challenge the Cowboys and the, uh, and the Eagles for the NFC East. Instead, if they cut them now, it would, it, would, it would do nothing for the present, and it would only intensify the ire of the fans. They're, they're all over the map, man. So, Brandon, you mentioned Barkley. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about an offense now that's going to run through Saquon Barkley, obviously, because he's the best thing they've got going for him. Yep. But how concerned would you be that they're going to put a ton of miles and a lot of hits on him in what essentially is going to be a wasted season? Jim, incredibly concerned. And here's one of the problems, and the Giants' brass although they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt right now, the Giants brass needs to be aware of this because now Pat Shermer is entering the self-preservation stage. And let's face it, if you're a head coach and you've been around this gig for a long time, you know, you know how, these, how these things dance out, how they, how they work out. It's a tricky navigation because the general manager has his compass set in one direction. The head coach has a totally different itinerary because you know the finish line for him is far more visible. So if I'm Pat Shermer... I'm saying to myself, hell, what do I care what happens to Saquon Barkley in four years? I might be gone. I might be gone in two years if I don't rip off at least seven wins or have some sort of a representative competitive season. So that is a real issue. Listen, when you draft the running back at number two, and as they did, and, and I critiqued it, although it was never against Barkley's talent, he is great, and I don't use that word loosely. He is great. He's out of this world great. But it, it does defy football logic in terms of bypassing three or four quarterbacks. You can't tell me you didn't like one of them. So now you bypass them all last year. You do nothing with Eli. You draft Barkley. You run him into the ground as a rookie. You run him into the ground in year two. You might win three or four games. And then you're into year three, and you still have nothing around him. The, the time frame is horrendous. And listen, do I think that they put some sort of a max carry on him? No, because I think that the Giants out of desperation, and again, self-preservation, they will try to win as many games possible, even though for the long term, that's the worst thing to do. Brandon Tierney joining us. And as I mentioned at the very top, we actually were going to talk some college basketball. So before you go, let me hit you on that. Big East tournament starting today at Madison Square Garden. And even though that conference has changed and shifted over the years, there is so much tradition in that tournament at that location. For those who have never been to the Big East tourney at the Garden, how would you describe it? Uh, I would describe it as something every sports fan has to do in their lifetime. You, you simply have to walk into that 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 buzz, which which is palpable. And I don't care if it's the Paul and St. John's at the 9:30 game, or you know nobody wants to play on Wednesday. Let's be honest. But uh, I don't care if it's the first game or the championship game on Saturdays. You know, you go back to UConn and Syracuse, go back to Georgetown with Ewing, go back to St. John's with Mullen, go back to Pitt with Charles Smith and. Jerome Lane and those guys and Sean Miller, the history here is, is without precedent. Um, now, the ACC right now, 
dwarfs the Big East. The Big 12 right now dwarfs the Big East. The Big East is down. And the problem with the Big East this year is that there aren't the usual um, allotment of, of surefire pro prospects. So the coaching is still pretty good. The pageantry is really good. But I do believe this is probably the worst the conference. Boy, I, and I thought about this before I say it. I, I actually think it's the worst the conference has ever been in the, in the 40-year history of the conference. Wow. That doesn't mean the ticket's not worthwhile. Doesn't mean we're not going to have great moments. We always get it, and trust me, it would be nice to see Mullen and St. John's do something here, and I think they'll win tonight. But, you know, they haven't finished well. They, they're, they're kind of skidding a little bit. You walk into the Garden, I don't care if the Big East is down. It's the hottest ticket in New York City. It's phenomenal. All right, so talking about St. John's and Mullen. St. John's playing DePaul tonight, and they're yep. doing it following the passing of Chris Mullen's brother. So obviously a tournament game pales in comparison to losing a loved one, but the players have talked about wanting to pick up their coach What's your sense as to the relationship between Mullen and his players? It's terrific. You know, Chris and I are from the same neighborhood, and I know you know Chris from his days, from his days out in California. Um, that, that St. John's team with Barry and Wennington and Mark Jackson, that was really the first team that, that I latched onto as a young sports fan. And obviously Chris is, is older. I think Chris is 11 or 12 years older than me, but I know all of his brothers, including Roddy, who just passed away. So, you know, the one thing about when St. John's plays at the Garden, it's, it may as well be in the park in Flatbush because the entire neighborhood's showing up. And, you know, Chris is the kind of guy who, you know, there's no false pretense, there's no nonsense, there's no, let me put on an air to try to fool people. Chris is Brooklyn through and through, which means Chris is incredibly authentic. Chris is incredibly, um, you know, spirited in, in terms of his pursuit of, of his basketball endeavors. He's just a good guy. Uh, and his players know that, and they're going to come out, and they're going to fight for their man tonight, and I think they're going to play very well. I love the guy. He's one of my favorite guys. So Me finally, what, what does he mean? And you touched on this, Brandon, but what's he mean to New York basketball, and what would a win tonight mean to that program? Oh, man, you know what's crazy, Romy, because it, it, it really is odd, because you know he was 30 years in the Bay Area. I mean, so you grow up with this New York icon, you know, and, and really for a collegiate player, he kind of carved out like this professional existence, and it helped that he's from Brooklyn, obviously. But, you know, you think of, of Chris Mullen, you know, for me, he's right there with Don Mattingly. He's right there with Patrick Ewing as a Nick, and, 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 Patrick, and, and uh, Chris never played one professional minute in New York. It was all of the Warriors, of course, the Pacers when he was there for a little bit. Um, Chris, is, Chris is the prodigal son, and if you're old enough to have known um, or, or watched the days, the early days of the Big East, Pearl Washington, may he rest in peace, and Ewing and Chris – they planted these seeds, and Roly Massimino, and Roland, and Louie, of course, and Big John Thompson. Uh, that will never be replicated. And because people are savvy enough to know that that will never be replicated, Chris is cherished in a way that very few people are. He's one of us, man, and, and we have his back no matter what. Well said. He is the host of Tiki and Tyranny. It's coming up right after this on CBS Sports Radio and CBS Sports Network. Also an NFL analyst on the other pregame show on CBS Sports Network. He has won an Emmy Award. Brandon Tierney, my guest. My man, that's how you do it. Brandon, great job. Looking forward to the program, too, today. Jimmy, thanks for having me on, brother. It's an honor, and I've uh, been a big fan. I've, I've told you this off the air, but I've been a f- big fan for a long time. You don't look old, but you're a pioneer, brother. So uh, you keep doing your thing, man. Much respect, Brandon. Game respecting game. I appreciate you very much. Good night now.